Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile unlimited premium wireless. Ready to get 30 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20 20, 20 ready to get 20 20, ready to get 15 15, 15 15, just 15 bucks a month. So, give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for 3 months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the AEW Dynamite Review. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by one of the Deadly Boys, Michael Hamplett from What Culture, to review last night's episode of AEW Dynamite. Michael Sidwick still enjoying his well-earned break. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on either iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts, where we not only review AEW Dynamite, but also NXT, Raw, SmackDown, pay-per-views. We have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a roundup of the week complete. With a bloody good quiz, of course, on wrestle culture. As I said, though, joined by Michael Hamlet to review Dynamite, a show that had a lot of pressure on it going into it at the end of the day, Hamlet. Like they've been in a bit of a slump recently. This is their first proper unopposed night. NXT did like, what, 800,000 or something on Tuesday night. And it's fair to say, AEW smashed it out of the park last night, I thought. Absolutely. Fabulous two hours. Um, as welcoming, you would hope, to. New viewers, can you even mm. call them new viewers? I know AEW exists, but like new Wednesday night viewers, as welcoming to them as it was to the regulars, those amongst us that have to pour over every minute and have sometimes not been thrilled with what they've seen. Um, yeah, this was as good a response episode as it was a standalone one. I don't believe AEW, I like to think they're not the company that does response booking, other than if they're trying to fix what almost everybody universally says is broken, um, such as the Exploding Ring or the original Dark Order or whatever. I don't think typically they're a response organisation. And yet, there was something just in their bones of this show that felt like it was a response to uh, last week in particular, mm. um, as a kind of, as a bit of a, just a bit of a sloppy episode. This was tight. This was really polished. This made so much, still probably too many people on the show, but it made far better use of virtually mm-hmm. everybody in it. I will say that. Um, they probably do need to thin the numbers of who they're going to use on television every week. But at least here, almost everybody served a purpose. Um, everybody had something to do that felt relevant. Like, um, I tweeted words to this effect, but unbelievable dynamic of heels and baby faces on this show. Mm. I don't know if it's just because I felt particularly burned by NXT Stand and Deliver Night 2's Shades of Grey matches. I'm thinking Devlin Escobar, Colin O'Reilly, um, that I needed goodies and baddies. And they were everywhere here. Like, they were absolutely everywhere, um, as we'll get to as we sort of go through this piece by piece. Just a really, really enjoyable blast of a, a two hours with, like, very little to pick on, critically. Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. I, I really enjoyed the roller coaster this show took you on. And like you say, uh, whether you're a new viewer or maybe you were an NXT viewer just tuning in live for the first time, at the end of the day, NXT viewers probably got a bit of memory loss considering how old they are. So it's good to recap things for them. Um, and to, to, to uh, quote a, a JR phrase, i.e. maximising your minutes, they certainly did that, like you say, with the, the appearances, particularly of... My heart was a flutter with Anthony Agogo. Oh my days, that guy. I love his entrance theme as well. I was like, I'm all aboard. I'm like, let's go, <laughs> go, go. Um, yeah, we'll get into that in due course. And, and let's start right at the beginning uh, of the show, which started rather than with the opening titles, with the Young Bucks informing us they were going to be unbearable for the next two hours. And yeah, basically... Uh, saying what Don Callis ranted to them about the week or two ago, uh, losing their edge. And, uh, well, there's a little teaser for what's about to come. Chopping up their gear. I thought as a as a hard reset and as they are no longer conflicted young bucks, I thought, ah, now they get it. I, I, I really appreciate that at the start of this show. Yeah. Um, it's kind of abrupt, all of this, let's be honest. <laughs> Um, from mid-match conflicted feelings last week to where we've got this week. But it was so goddamn brilliant that you kind of don't care. Um, the speed and pace at which AEW um, pushes forward storylines is a little bit schizophrenic. Some go too slow. This went too fast. But the end product was so fantastic that you didn't care by the end. Mm. Like, it doesn't bother me that we're only now, seven days on from the Young Bucks, not knowing if they're with Kenny or against him. Now it's as if they knew all along and they've like Callis has worked. Is there a, an argument to be made that um, Callis is doing exactly what he's doing with Omega? And he's it's more about getting in people's heads than it is yeah. them actually feeling these things. Is this the invisible hand at work? And like, I mean, that's great because you've built up a hell of a character who can play mind games on all these people. It's a jackal. It's a jackal. Um, but yeah, like what that allows at least is for a quite an earnest baby face turn for the three of them like maybe years down the road. I don't know. Mm. Um, yeah, a little bit abrupt, but so brilliantly performed here. And then especially in the match that uh, like you can really give a toss about it happening so quickly. Before we get to the match, uh, there was also a backstage segment with uh, MJF and Mike Tyson. Nice, nice to see MJF getting a bit of a uh, screen time, bit of time to talk. And uh, yeah, he's uh, talking to Tyson, who of course is the special guest enforcer for Jericho versus Harwood later on in the evening. Uh, and MJF comes to him, says, kind of pissed off with you, mate, understandably, considering what went down last week. Um, he's got a blank check for Tyson. Uh, he tells him to be on the right side of history. References, you don't want to regret things. I can look at one thing on your face and tell there's things that you may well have regretted in the past. Um, but Tyson grabs the check, rips it up, eats it a bit, Goldberg-esque, and uh, then spits it into MJF's face. A great interaction with these between these two, I thought, Hamlet. Yes. Um, your views on I, Mike Tyson as a babyface will vary. Everyone's got the mileage on that. But ultimately, he's been positioned as a babyface within a circle, so you have to put him against your top heel and your leader of the pinnacle, such as the order of that feud. Um, great chemistry between the two as well. Uh, MJF. MJF has to be the arsehole to finally bring up Mike Tyson's awful face tattoo. He had to open the door for the rest of the world to be able to say what we've all been thinking for over a decade, but we've all been too scared to. I predict that the narrative can finally change on Tyson's face tattoo. And that's all because of Maxwell Jacob Friedman being the one, uh, not have the guts, 
but have the cockiness to do it first. Um, the idea that his dad told him all about him as well. Great line. Um, as good a line as anything he said about Chris Jericho. Yeah, all the members of my family told me how good you once were. Um, <laughs> like, short but really inspired stuff. You talked at the start of this podcast of maximising your minutes. That was exactly what this was. Yeah. Uh, right, let's get on to Death Triangle, taking on the Young Bucks for the AW World Tag Team titles. And before we get into the match itself, understandably, I will go to you and your thoughts on the new gear for the Young Bucks. They chopped up their tassels before the before this match happened at the start of this show. And then, Michael Hamlet, they came out in all new gear. What did you make of it as uh, what culture's resident gear expert? That sounds well, I loved it, doesn't it? <laughs> I, I loved it so much, man. I loved it so, so much. I mentioned on the preview podcast that the, I was hopeful for the Young Bucks turn entirely because of their attire. They had, um, on the house show, like leather jackets and flat caps. Uh, I thought they look like complete arseholes. This is great. This is going to work out just fine. I was not ready for what we saw here. The um, the Dior Air Jordans. Oh my God. Just stunning. Absolutely stunning. I expect Andy Murray's bought about six boxes of those and is upselling them on eBay as we speak. Um, the bejeweled, tasseled headbands. Forget about it, man. Uh, and then the trunks, obviously, to match the tights to match. Um, stunning. Like, wrestling attire is character work. It is. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. It's character work. Um, it's one of the few things in WWE that wrestlers are still pretty much given carte blanche on. They can go and arrange that themselves without Vince McMahon putting his thumb on it. Um, and that extends to everywhere else in wrestling. You can express yourself in ways that sometimes your matches can't because the young boys will get plenty of time to express themselves here. Um, but why not do both when you can? Um, spend more money, AW, on money for your talent to buy wrestling gear as good as this than renting out fancy pickup trucks. That's <laughs> what I would come. That's what I would compare for. Spend your money better. Loved it. Loved it. Uh, let's talk about the match itself then. One of the best tag matches in Dynamite history. Is that too much of a stretch? No, it's one of the best matches in Dynamite history. Unbelievable. Just, I mean, the problem with some of these pairings is, is that how possibly can you live up to uh, their sort of, the idea of the Young Bucks versus Pack and Ray Phoenix. Well, how you do that is by over-delivering on people's enormous expectations. This was an incredible match. And it wasn't just amazing because Pack was able to use a space flying tiger drop or because you can now incorporate a Canadian destroyer off a um, springboard, a half-body springboard from the top row. <laughs> it was incredible. It was incredible because you were telling a brand new story independent of the match. You were telling the story of the Young Bucks becoming the cocky prick Young Bucks of old um, that was almost separate from the match itself. Don Callis was there on commentary talking the whole act up. The Young Bucks were obsessed with themselves and in a way that, you know, badly agented. This would have been at the expense of a big major tag team match, a tag team match worthy of a pay-per-view. And it wasn't, it was just folded into it brilliantly. You had them be cocky, you had them be confidence. The wrong tag, arrogant, like the wrong corner, arrogant tag spot was just sublime. Mm. Where he just put his hand out waiting for the tag. Oh yeah, we're the bad guys, aren't we? Sorry, brother. Over he goes. Like unbelievable arrogance. Um, better than the projected. Well, they're just going to point the dicks the whole match, which I think we'd all hope for. You know, like th they had more in them than to just be cocky, smug pricks. They were, I don't know, everything you've occasionally heard about them on the independent circuit. They were just everything that you could buy into. 
as a heel group, as Kenny Omega's best friends, as men corrupted by Don Callis and indeed corrupted by their own wealth. Um, and it was folded into just one of the best matches in Dynamite history. It went so long and I wanted more. Like this felt like, you know, we talk about the opening match slot on Dynamite being, you know, sort of free from that commercial interruption. I yeah. had this. I just didn't want this to end. I was pleased this went as long as it did and I'd have taken another 10 minutes. Um, it's got to be not just the best, it's got to be one of the longest matches in Dynamite history, I would assume. Mm. Um, when, when you're hitting 25 minutes on television on a two-hour show that's only a couple of years old, I would say it's got to be one of the longest ever. Um, the piss take of the babyface comeback. Oh, my Jesus. God. Yeah. Jesus Christ, man. That's That was probably when I just thought, like, that was the essence of this match. You are getting over this brand new character, obnoxious, rich, cocky heel, but you're doing it in the perfect pro wrestling match to do it in. You're going to be Ultimate Warrior and Shawn Michaels at the same time against two of the best wrestlers in the world, genuine threats to your tag titles, and you're going to do that. And what a finish. What an unbelievable finish. A finish that has worked for the younger books before, as babyfaces, no less, being able to bring that back as heels, ripping off the masks as they did of, I was it Phoenix the last time? It might have been Penta the last time a mask was mm. ripped off by the young books. Um, but it's a finish they know has worked before. And it played to Phoenix desperation to protect himself rather than, you know, this is how you, awful word in wrestling now, protect. This is how you protect baby faces in defeat because what a finish it was. Couldn't mm. have loved this anymore. That, um, that lariat that Pack hit him with in the midst of that oh, oh, struggling baby face comeback oh, from Matt Jackson. Gosh. Sweet Jesus. Uh, like you said, Ray, Ray Phoenix, as he always does, flying all over the place, but he works even better with, with the Jacksons. Uh, springboard Hurricane walking the ropes using the books as leverage. There's a sentence that just That's makes amazing. my mind explode. Um, and yeah, they, and they, some great near falls, even though I, we all assumed and were correct in guessing that it was going to be a, a tag team title retention for the Young Bucks. You know, Pack hits a superplex. Phoenix hits a frog splash for a near fall. Pack tags back in, hits a black arrow. And it looks like he's got him covered. He's got him laid out. But thankfully, Nick, battling with, with Phoenix, breaks it up just in, just in time. Uh, and then to finish, yes, he's a Nick hit a low blow on Pack, and then unmask Phoenix uh, to allow them to hit stereo super kicks and get the one, two, three. And I think it was Nick post-match being like, did everyone see that? I took his bloody mask off, bloody idiot. <laughs> just just wonderful stuff. And like you say, it went so long that, you know, we always talk about, oh, the opening match would be great because it doesn't have to go for an ad break. This one did have to go for an ad break, despite the fact it was the opening match. It went that bloody long. But yeah, you're still inexplicably left us wanting more. And... Uh, yeah, unquestionably, the young books of old, the young books people pined for uh, when AEW launched, they are here uh, and they just work so well. And like you say, Pack and Phoenix lost but didn't lose anything in defeat, did they? Sorry, Miss Jackson. Ooh, your sons are heels. Um, <laughs> and let that never change. Uh, and then we also got that we weaved into the you know, bigger story with Hangman Page immediately being interviewed by Marvez backstage, uh, asked about Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks, and all he wants to talk about is John Silver's shoulder and injury recovery and food and stuff like that. And he walks off and Marvez even goes, I didn't ask you about that. I just love that. <laughs> Amazing. Um, that's what, I think we touched upon that last week. That's what's so brilliant about this is that you're only building a bigger distance between Hangman Page and the elite. Um, Hangman Page 
hasn't now just got to win the AW title from Kenny Omega. He hasn't now got to potentially kick out from the one-winged angel. He's basically found himself. The guy that ousted himself from the elite has got to save the soul of all elite wrestling. <laughs> like, sorry, like, sorry, sad cowboy, but that one's on your broad shoulders. Love it. Love the construction of all, like, it's the, the way that they are arriving upon that Omega Hangman Page match is tremendous. I hope they don't get there too soon because I'll take a lot more of this before we get there. Yeah, he's he can look back now and be like, wait a second, I beat myself up for months for grabbing one of my friend's legs so they couldn't win. And now, look at what you're doing! It's like <laughs> talk and cheese, this! Um, yes, exactly. Um, a wonderful story. Like you say, uh, I hope they don't blow it off. When's the next pay-per-view? May, is uh, it? Double, double or nothing, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's too soon for me, that. Uh, and you've still got, you know, Moxley, quite rightly, probably still furious with what's going on. Uh, we've still got the comeback from all that to come as well. Uh, then we got another backstage interview. Uh, Alex Marvez, this time chatting to the Inner Circle and Tyson, uh, talking about why they aren't enemies anymore. T- uh, Jericho talks about after the pinnacle turned on him. He had a moment of reflection. He realised all the things he'd done wrong. And Tyson was one of the first people he called, if not the first, in fact. Um he said he was thankful that Tyson had his back last week, but he doesn't want any special favors, any special treatment. He wants him to call it straight down the middle. And uh, Tyson says he's firm but fair. May the best man win. Oh, I just got excited thinking about the match we had to come. Uh, just a quick one on this. Uh, so not interfere with the match analysis later on. Jericho's knowingly awful pineapple pinnacle thing. Yeah. Is this so we can make amends with Pineapple Pete? I think so. Is that like that's that's got it? That's not an accident, is it? If Chris Jericho is going about making right all the wrongs of the original run of the Inner Circle, that's where that goes, isn't it? I think so. I, I think I, you're right. I just, I just think it's nice. I think like because pineapple's too rubbish. It's too rubbish a name for the pinnacle, isn't it? And like and when he dropped that one in the promo, it was too rubbish at the time. Yeah, I, I, do you know what I was thinking of? That's I think it's a great assessment. But I also was thinking, wait a second. Just like on My Name is Earl, he's writing all the wrongs that he's done in the past. So what you're telling me is he's going to have a list, a list of people <laughs> he needs to do good for. I'm here for that. I'm absolutely here for that as well. That is great. My name is Chris. <laughs> <laughs> just You've just had your name crossed off the list. I don't know how it's going to work. <laughs> uh, you're not going to get... It. <laughs> Jay Cargill, Red Velvet, Sweet Jesus, that was next. And uh, I, I, I can't heap enough praise on this match. I'm going to, you know, understandably fawn over Jade Cargill, but Red Velvet deserves such credit as well. It's just her firing up spots, her, you know, underdog babyface fire is, is not to be overlooked. And it was showcased here. Uh, from the beginning, she explodes out the gate. Uh, she uh, fights Jade Cargill tooth and nail and uh, then gets leveled by a pump kick. Um, and then eventually she fights out of a suplex, hits a high kick, sends uh, sends Cargill out to the floor and nails her with a tope suicida to the floor. Cargill eventually fights back, hoys Velvet into the barricade and then throws her into all of her friends that are ringside. <laughs> Then Cargill gets posted, right hands and a leaping lariat from Red Velvet. Uh, Bulldog standing moonsault for a two count. But of course, we all know how this was going to end. Jade Cargill uh, rolls out of the way of a moonsault 
and hits her finisher for the victory. Jade Cargill looked amazing and Red Velvet, like I said, not to be overlooked either. Couple of uh, we told you so's in a row here from the preview show, but this was <laughs> brilliant. This was brilliant, man. Um, yeah, another sort of beneficiary of the awesome Shaq match was this. Uh, Red Velvet is the future babyface world champion in the same way that Hangman Page is. I honestly feel like they're comparative pieces at this point. I'm not suggesting that the story is going to be quite as deep as the elite drama, or indeed Red Velvet is quite at the level of Hangman Page. But then she's had like 75 matches. She doesn't have to be. Um, unbelievable babyface performance from her here when you just knew um, that it couldn't end well for her. Uh, the whole point was to give you that little tiny moment of doubt that Jade Cargill wasn't going to win this match and Red Velvet found it. Um, especially, like, I think it was like the... the stand, not that I bit on the stand... I'd be lying if I said I thought the standard moonsault was going to get three. I didn't. But it was more just within the context of, right, she's got her now. If she can't get her now, she just can't get her. And you're completely on the hook. You're with her to get her. Right, build on this, build on this, build on this. Uh, and she couldn't do it because Jade Cargill is, is super strong... Uh, she's got all the sort of attributes visually that the moves that she does mean so much more because she looks so strong. So she doesn't need to have loads in her arsenal at the moment because everything that she hits, hits with such impact. Incredible charisma. Both of them, actually, I will say. Um, Jade Cargill is going to, and it's, it didn't happen here, but it's going to happen. Jade Cargill is going to have a competitive match with one of your favourite wrestlers. And she's going to chew up the scenery so much that you're kind of going to forget one of your favourite wrestlers is there. I don't know who that is yet, but I can, like, Jade Cargill will beat somebody that you just thought, wow, that other person did not get a look in. Red Velvet was competing for the camera with Jade Cargill here, and she got plenty of it too. Um, Cargill's instincts for finding a hard camera and for knowing when to stop and hot dog are just brilliant. Um, couldn't love this more. Cannot believe that this is effectively... And I don't, I don't mean this to sort of degrade Red Velvet especially, but this is, you know, still a developmental match, effectively. Mm, yeah. Red Velvet, Red Velvet has only been on television a year, there or thereabouts, and hasn't been able to work regularly on television. It's not like they're doing house show loops. She's getting one match a week at best, and she's not getting that. Um, Jade Cargill, brand new to the scene. Um, and I couldn't believe this was as good as it was, only I could, because we said so yesterday. The, the instincts on these two are so great that as the, when the in-ring catches up, Jesus Christ, like you've got two megastars and waiting. It feels already like the embers of a legacy feud in the AW Women's Division, this. Yeah, it's the... Uh, I don't know what to compare it to. Sammy Guevara, well, Darby Allen, potentially. MJF Jungle, MJF Jungle Boy. MJF Jungle Boy is a better comparison, like, yeah. You've just... Well, but you got comparisons for days because that's what this company does. Yeah. <laughs> like it, it's, uh, it sets itself up pay-per-view months for five years' time. Mm, yeah, really, really good stuff. I'm intrigued to know what you thought about what happened next as well. Brett, Britt Baker interviewed by Tony Schiavone, uh, talking about the rankings and basically just saying, well, that's a lot of red velvet. She goes down, I go up. Uh, she said she was going to keep winning matches. I like the fact she said, I'm going to keep winning matches on AEW Dark Elevation. Uh, I'm going to go up the rankings and I'm going to take Hikari Shida's AEW Women's Championship. I expect this again next week after Take On T probably loses to Hikari Shida in the title match. Brilliant! This way, way better than last week's promo for me. The first, um, the first like home run moment for the Britt Baker character since the match with Thunder Rosa. Uh, loved her ability to try and basically claim a title shot on goal difference. Uh, really inspired use of the rankings of which they should make more use of. Because, yes, like 
it, all it does is flesh out how great the booking of Red Velvet versus Jade Cargill was. Red Velvet has this fantastic record, but she comes up against this unbeaten monster in Jade Cargill. Notice that Britt Baker doesn't really want to speak about how Jade Cargill gets on. Like, <laughs> yeah, she she knows, too, isn't she, Cargill? Yeah, she's not going to mention her, that she's probably going to go on a five, six match unbeaten streak because Britt Baker wants none of Jade Cargill, does she? So that's really good cowardly stuff from the heel. Um, and yet credible because she survived this war with Thunder Rosa. She's going to go on and she's going to win several matches and she's going to get a shot. Um, yeah, love this. Really great. Um, really great ranking stuff. I welcome more things like this when you can... Doesn't have to be all the time, but when you can utilize the booking as well as this did of the match that just came before it, you absolutely should. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Right, I have splashed myself with cold water and I will try and calm myself down for Anthony Agogo's AW in-ring debut. He took on, well, I say he took on Cole Carter. Cole Carter was the victim. Uh, it's the first match of the factory. Uh, you got QT Marshall, uh, you got Aaron Solo, you got Nick Comoroto, of course. And, uh, I mean, a genius bit of booking, of course, to later on have Mike Tyson. Andy reminded me of this on the news. Uh, Mike Tyson KO someone. So you can't really. And also it's so overdone of like the boxer has a KO punch. Not Anthony Agogo. He hits people so hard in the gut. The referee just calls the match. Oh, my days. And that theme. Yes, please. Awesome. Absolutely awesome. Um. Again, here we go. This is a second or two victory laps, and then I swear I'll park my vanity. Did we not say yesterday that he just needs a kill shot in his right hand? Yep. Uh, and he's got one. <laughs> this was amazing. Um, love the factory already. Great aesthetic. Um, Aaron Solo might one day not be someone's ex-boyfriend because he might be the guy that has dyed his hair to match the colour scheme of the group. Big fan of that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Agogo's music was quality. The whole presentation, the whole look was superb. Um, Cutie Marshall was very gently criticised, but criticised somewhat for neither being the wrestler nor promo to helm a stable. He is obviously an excellent trainer behind the scenes. This much we're getting evidence of every week. But there was there was a minor criticisms that like, well, all of this for, for QT Marshall. And then you see them presented this way, and it's like 
he's the like leader of a group of, like a group of thugs he doesn't really do the dirty work mm. he doesn't have to get down in the muck there's a sort of like I'm going to be WB here with my dated film references but there's a kind of a lock stock gangland quality to his <laughs> aesthetic as the, of the leader of this the factory um, I'll drag it a little bit further forward to the football factory that's about five years afterwards isn't it but yeah like that kind of like that cockney wide boy prick that like tells the thugs to go and do the dirty work and then deals with the business end of things and I buy that I completely buy that um, especially because it's only going to give these guys more ring time as well he can be in there every now and then but ultimately it's going to let these guys show off and show out which is what a Coco did with that punch to the gut uh, tremendous idea for a finish tremendous thing to fear and brilliant reason why Cody Rhodes is maybe not putting himself back on television because he took one. Mm, yeah. You know, this, this is effectively like selling an injury now, isn't it? So yeah. I do like they've given here's the thing. They've given something that if John Moxley was fighting Anthony Agogo, you'd have to fear for John Moxley's health because that's all it would take would be one second. Mm. That's what they've managed to do. They've managed in one move, they've managed to level Agogo up to the baby face that you care about the most. Moxley would be smart. Moxley would have a guard for it. Moxley might wear his old shield flat jacket. He's big boy brain. But the whole <laughs> point is, is that you would worry about him because you know if a go-go connects, Moxley's in trouble and he's going to be spitting up blood. And yeah. for them to do that in one debut, one one minute long debut, just inspired. Yeah, I don't believe that QT Marshall can beat Cody Rose and that was exemplified by their match. But mm-hmm. I do believe QT Marshall could like sick Nick Comarotto on someone and then pick the bones afterwards or, or whatever it may be. And do you know what I really liked as well? And this is a credit to the commentary. Uh, is acknowledging Agogo's past. I, I, you know, I was a big, I'm kind of a big boxing fan still, and uh, you know, followed some of the talent that we we've 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 seen come through the Olympics. You know, particularly people like obviously like Anthony Joshua, uh, to use the most recent example. But I always felt very sorry for, for Anthony Agogo because I followed him and, and seen that, you know, he he didn't stop boxing because uh, he wasn't very good at it or, you know, he, he, he lost his passion or whatever it may be. He's really unfortunate. And that breeds the character he has become in AEW in terms of like, none of this is his fault. He just got eye injuries and he's just so frustrated. And he's like, well, I've still got these skills in my hands. Well, like you say, yeah, just convert that into, you know, Learn, a, learn the odd suplex, but in reality, probably won't have to use it because you're a bloody <laughs> boxer. You're an Olympian boxer. So, yeah, I just, I'm really excited to see what they do with this stable. Uh, and uh, yeah, I thought it was a, an incredible, if brief, uh, showing out performance for, for one Anthony, a go go. I'll tell you what I'd like to happen next. Um, you have a go go work his second match on dark elevation. And then he just hits a punch and you've got like big show at the desk going, Jesus Christ, the power of that. <laughs> like, <laughs> I would not want to get hit by that. Like it, it, it's the, the mind is all my mind is already like set it up for like the, the beauty of this move. And the, the you know, the, the problem with like the big shows KO punch is well, if you can hit it from anywhere, why wouldn't you just hit it from anywhere? And I feel like the, you've just got that slight issue, but the, 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 the flip side of that is, a go-go is wrestling someone who's more talented in ring in terms of a wrestling quality. And they've, they've batted him. They've, they've maybe neutralized him a little bit. Maybe they've chucked him around ringside and they roll him back in the ring. And what's arguably one of the most exposed elements when you're stepping in between the ropes. Oh, it's your gut. Oh, he just pops up and nails someone in the gut. And that's that. Thanks for coming. 
Like, I can't wait to see him hit this. Oh, I'm coming up, coming up the top, are you? Oh, I'm someone out in your stomach, you prick. I love him. I've got carried well, away. A little bit higher, and he's like, Cody, that tattoo's a target, mate. <laughs> I'm gonna hit I'm gonna hit you with I'm gonna hit you with a throat punch. <laughs> Uh, right, then we had a backstage segment with uh, Miro, or backstage vignette with him, uh, talking about Kip Sabian, say he's saying he's hit the, both of them, but mainly Kip has disappeared since Arcade Anarchy. Uh, he said everyone else in AEW should, should do the same, particularly those with titles. Is this finally the beginning of Miro going after a title, you reckon? Yeah. <laughs> Angles are like buses with me, aren't they? You wait eight months for one and then two come along at once. <laughs> you get arcade anarchy. anarchy and then you get this follow-up promo. Um, I quite like this because I just I was really starting to buy into Miro's animalistic side um over the like the last couple of physical exhibitions of what he can do. And now this is almost better than the out and out turn because I quite like the idea of Miro going at it alone just being violent and being awful and racking up the ring, the racking up the wins and getting up the rankings. And then Kip Sabian finally calling him back or finally turning up on a dynamo and being like, all right, pal. Like, it's so nice to see you. I don't know, a bit of a bugger with the old arcade thing, but fancy a pint or something like that. And then Miro just squashing his head in his hand. Just like, I've advanced so far past you. You should never have walked back into my spotlight. Mm. Like, I really like, rather than this being a breakup now, I almost like kind of, Miro just washing his hands of the whole thing and then Kip Sabian trying to slyly wriggle his way back in only to suffer the horrendous consequences. I certainly thought, oh, you thought you had trouble in the main event, Darby Allen. You wait till Miro starts coming after you. Yeah, that was um that felt as good as signposted. I I we're gonna talk, there's there's a lot to pick out in the main event. Um, but one thing that obviously got lost because of all the other people involved is that Miro kind of immediately felt like a perfect TNT yeah. champion. Like, Im- like immediately felt like a guy that you could imagine with a TNT title, just monstering guys once a week. Um, we'll get to that, though. There's a, there's a lot to cover in that main event. So, Yeah, instead, let's move on next to Dax Harwood versus Chris Jericho with the special guest enforcer, Mike Tyson, who was called into action basically immediately. The match started. They go after each other, uh, and Jericho goes to grab a chair, and Tyson goes, no, no. We literally spoke about this backstage, Chris. But anyway, uh, Harwood again tries to use as a use a weapon too, and Tyson bounces out, exemplifying the whole. You know, he's going to call it down the middle, sort of thing. Um, later on, Jericho fights back. Uh, Harwood goes to the outside to try and recover, but he's just baiting him in there. He nails him with a microphone. He attacked him uh, with a pen as well at, at one point, and then Jericho does his classic spot that pots me every time he gets a ringside camera he does his classic middle finger spot uh harwood fights back he later on goes for a diving headbutt jericho rolls out of the way lion tamer uh and to break it up cash wheeler who's allowed on the outside because sammy Guevara's in, in jericho's corner cash wheeler lands a cheap spot cheap shot even uh to allow a two count for harwood in all this Guevara and wheeler get together Harwood avoids the Judas effect, hits a brain buster. Jericho pops up, code breaker. They're both down. And then, of course, here they come, the pinnacle in the inner circle. They're brawling. They've come through the back. Uh, They're fighting all over the stage. It's a free-for-all. And uh, Cash Wheeler seizes opportunity, grabs Jericho's bat, and is about to attack him. Tyson stops him. Cash Wheeler contemplates hitting Mike Tyson with a baseball bat and gets KO'd 
by Mike Tyson. Jericho powers out of a powerbomb attempt by Dax Harwood. Judas Effect, one, two, three. And post-match, Mike Tyson is inducted as an honorary member into the inner circle. What do you think of uh, everything that went down, Hamlet? Yeah, like mostly really good fun here. Uh, we've touched upon this before. I'm a huge, huge fan of the IRL competitiveness between FTR because you've got Cash there thinking, oh, Dax is going to have another singles banger on telly, is it? Right, I'm going to get smashed in the face by Mike Tyson and sell it. Watch this. <laughs> now, now he's going to steal the headlines, Dax. Like, I, I love that because they're both brilliant. So like, let them continue. You know, we all sort of talked about how incredible Cash was in the Young Bucks match. Like mm. he was just... He, Rocket fueled the whole match, wasn't he? I love this competitiveness because they're both so brilliant. FTR as an actor, so great. And now you're just going to get to see constant exhibitions of like, I'm better than you. Well, let's have a chat about that later. Like, I'm really, it's, it doesn't necessarily even need to be an angle. I just feel like it's sort of headcanon at this point that they're going to try and outwork each other for the good of the show. Mm. Brilliant. Um, really good match. Loved Chris Jericho baby facing a lot of his heel stuff. Mm, uh, yeah. the, pen, the pen and the camera in particular. That camera spot. People pissed themselves when you did that, like that middle finger with the camera. Mm. So, of course, that would be the, one of the first things he would bring to his babyface act. Like, he just is in Chris Jericho's instincts are peerless. Like, that, he, he knew exactly which spot he could get away with now as a mean babyface rather than a cocky prick heel. And I thought he measured that perfectly. Dax has a way in a singles match of being able to take everything you love about. Um, FTR's ability to effectively cut the ring in half and do it without and do it without a tag partner. Um, yeah. he, he's a real thinking man's heel pro wrestler. I don't even want to say old school because I think that kind of like probably I don't think that's credit enough. A lot of wrestlers no. can be old school. I think he's smarter with it. Um, like the slingshot power bomb as an example for that as well. Like that just puts a guy in his place, no matter if he's a 30-year pro. Um, he's got that like he's got the kind of the engine of the guy that came up in the NXT super worker era and he gets to flesh that out a little bit in these singles matches. So I really loved it. Um, Tyson stuff is fine. Like it's all a bit of fun, bit of fluff, isn't it? Having him as this like ancillary member of the inner circle suggests to me that probably there's a, a welcome working relationship between the two sides and we'll get more of him. So again, I say this every time really, it's what you get out of Mike Tyson, ultimately you're probably going to get plenty more. So if you're an AEW hardcore that hates it, it's with apologies because you'll be back at some point. They think there's money in it. They, they enjoy the co-promotion. Cool um, I'll end on this. And I don't want to like just end on something critical because I did really, really enjoy this match. Really enjoyed it. Um, but I just feel like it's relevant to say it now because it fed immediately into that Don Callis promo, hmm. which I won't tread on, your, tread on your toes in covering, but it was just why it made me think of it. Um, I... I'm not convinced that the Pinnacle have been fabulously booked so far. I'm not asking for them to deck people every single week. But we got that beatdown. We got the amazing promo from MJF when they walked off the plane and explained themselves. And then they've pretty much been rodeo clowns ever since. Mm. Running around, bumping and feeding for the inner circle, taking the beating in the locker room. And this would be fine because you've got a while till um, Blood and Guts was it three, three, dynamite, three dynamites, I think, till, till Blood and Guts? No, isn't it on the Some third people... dynamite, though? Is it got two more dynamites? Oh, okay, right, right. I think two more dynamites. Right. Well, it's it's kind of three in a way, because I think Blood and Guts will fix a lot of this anyway. I think the Pinnacle are going to look like monsters in Blood and Guts. I think they're going to do some pretty awful things to um, the Inner Circle, and we're going to see this stable for what they are. Um, so that's two other dynamites left. I could really do with seeing the Pinnacle 
like batter some people. It doesn't even have to be the inner circle. Doesn't have to be the inner circle. Maybe MJF can show his cowardly side. I pitched it on Twitter this morning. Maybe you go for Jurassic Express. MJF targets Jungle Boy because he hates him, and there's they outnumber them. Marcus stunt getting bullied by heels is great. Um, you set four of them on Luchasaurus, something like that. You know, just like they're not they're not hard enough at the moment. And what's worse is, and this is an accident, I think, but um, you know how in 2016 when um, NXT debuted Austin Aries, it's like the coolest debut ever. And then Malibu Stacey got a new hat and Shinsuke Nakamura debuted at NXT TakeOver Dallas like two weeks after. <laughs> and you were like, Stone Cold Steve Austin? No, Austin Aries. Austin who? <laughs> anyway, Shinsuke Nakamura's on. I'll come back later. Like he was just dead in the water as this brand new arrival. The Pinnacle aren't that, but they're not suddenly as cool or as fun or as interesting as this new version of the Elite with Omega yeah. and the Young Bucks. And we had this promo next with the Elite. And that's what that left me thinking about was like, oh, hang on, like the MJF and this master plan, this months long game, and these guys that come off a plane and bludgeon the inner circle suddenly aren't as interesting as the Young Bucks and Kenny and Don Callis. And that's less than ideal. I like I've got to have faith. I trust the process. I've got to have faith that they're going to address this. But aren't the inner circle like sort of it's at least two two, if not three two, to the inner circle at this yeah. point? Yeah. And I don't think that's maybe how they've not raced out the blocks to Pinnacle, have they? No, exactly. I think you're right there. I think uh they need more dominance because they've like the one upmanship that you need in these sorts of feuds to build something like Blunders. I feel like They've gone, oh, well, the Binnacle beat Chris Jericho. They beat Chris Jericho. There you go. Job done. It's like, well, no, you need a little bit more than that. And as much as, you know, MJF's chops will carry you, uh, I feel like it needs to be demonstrated again. Yeah. And uh, yeah, like you say, it doesn't have to be them who outsmarting someone and trapping another member while someone else is occupied elsewhere. Just show how bloody brutal they can be ahead of AEW's war games, effectively. And I'm sure you'll have seen and loved the homage to it in the... Oh, yeah poster that we see the poster was gorgeous i've got absolute faith in the match this is the thing i just feel like they're not just being out thought they're being out thought like yes. they put they locked they locked the inner circle in the dressing room because they're the smart devious heels but you didn't count on mike tyson you know <laughs> so like chris jericho survives like a five-on-one attack because his friend from the hangover is in town it's just <laughs> like they're kind of being like outwitted as well and i just i want to to be smart and I want them to be violent and I'd like lashings of it in the next couple of weeks just to it, like it almost if the inner circle continue to dominate it doesn't really justify blood and guts does it no it's like why are we getting in a massive cage fight with them when we kind of had the number on dynamite I have absolute faith in the process that we're going to get it I think we're going to get one more pretty amazing heat segment I've got like I, I, I'm visualizing Wardlow taking the bobble out of his hair again and showing us those showing us those goddamn traps as his, uh, his long hair trickles slightly over the top of them like the waterfall of Evian that it is um, <laughs> but yeah a little bit more of that please a little bit more uh, yeah let's talk about Don Callis super kicking a cameraman <laughs> that came next uh, they're all there Omega Callis Bucks good brothers uh, Callis says we haven't seen anything yet this is just the beginning of the story Omega says they haven't changed they're just themselves now uh, they put all the tag division on notice uh, Callis says prepare to be surprised again and the Bucks whoop Ah, we're not going to super kick you. Don Callis actually did it. <laughs> Love this. Um, these young books were once, and this, you know, it was in a, a storyline that was careering off the rails with FTR, but these once had that little bit of arsehole in them, a super kicker cameraman. 
uh, and then apologise and pay off for super kicking Alex Marvez. Was it the super mm-hmm. kicks when yeah. they were kind of going through that? that way? Like they've got it in them, and now Don Callis is doing this to make them believe that he's on the level with them. Like we're all we're all buddies. Thanks for coming back around my way of thinking. Whereas really, it's just a way for it to be even more obnoxious and be the invisible hand. Really like the symmetry to all that sort of stuff. Good, good for. Uh, also nice that they haven't forgotten about Thunder Rosa. She had a video package. She said she's not just taking over the AEW women's division. She wants to take over the world. She's coming after whoever wins out of Hikaru Shida and take on to And by the way, she also wants Serena Deeb as well. Yeah, more glad because it feels like Thunder Rosa won the unsanctioned match. And then they just sort of went, oh, well, that's that. Then we'll see you, see you in a few weeks. Yeah, brilliant. This um, again, another case on the show and with loads of it of maximising your minutes in all the best way. This was very different to um, some of the frenetic pacing of some of the Dynamites where you're getting loads and loads of segments, but a lot of it doesn't really matter, or a lot of it is feels like fluff. Most of the inserts here were to drive a character forward and, like, not just give them a nudge, like steamroll over a few issues that people, myself included, had. Thunder Rosa had been backburned after winning that incredible match. Yeah. And now look what she's, and now look what she's done in one promo. She's basically said... Did you can see that thing? I'm the number one contender, whether you want me to be or not. Yeah. I'm the number one contender to any belt I fancy. The perfect, perfect response to that. Uh, then we got Chris Statlander versus Amber Nova. Kind of as we called this, a bit of a showcase for Statlander, mm-hmm. booping everyone left, right, and centre. Whether it's the best friends or the referee or opponent, um, Nova did get a small amount of offence in, but it was all about Statlander. This um, press slammed. Cartwheel leg drop, flipping sent on, roundhouse kick, big bang theory. Yeah, good, good uh, in ring return for Statlander. Yeah, really enjoyed this. Glad to have Statlander back. Um, brings she's great in the ring, but she obviously brings a bit of flavor to that division in general. Um, characters are very much welcome in this division. Uh, I might be a lone voice here. Um, pull back a little bit on Pixies, a little bit. I'm inclined to agree with you. Don't, um, and that's not a dig at Chris Statlander, um, but maybe just isolate it to Orange Cassidy, perhaps, rather than the whole act. I don't know. I don't know. People will tire of that, and that's the last thing you want because it's so inspired. So inspired. But I don't know. It felt it compared to the incredible end of Arcade Anarchy, it actually felt a little bit out of place here. Yeah, it's a very iconic thing, and it feels like it's a yeah, I I agree with you on that one. Yeah, you're right. Uh, right, then we got Team Taz. They're interviewed backstage, uh, waiting for a response uh, for their invitation to Christian Cage. Uh, Ricky Starks gets pissed off again. And so Taz tells him to stay backstage. And Brian Cage says, yeah, I think that's a good idea. And he says, you stay backstage as well. And he's like, well, I didn't do anything. Um, it's all falling apart for Team Taz. Let's group that in with what happened next. We had Christian and Tony Schiavone in the ring. Christian said he was out here to... Uh, well, he's at, he was here to outwork everyone again, of course, and uh, they were going to obviously ask him about whether he's contemplated Team Taz's uh, invitation before that could happen. Though Team Taz, alongside Powerhouse Hobbs and Hook, comes out. Uh, they're furious that Christian's clearly heading in one direction when it comes to answering that question. Christian got a bit of banter about him, thankfully. He says... Mm-hmm. Team Taz is a bit of dump, bit of a dumpster fire. He said, "I came to AW to win championships." I said, "And and, and well, <laughs> talked about Taz's height." Taz, I love Taz's comeback. By the way, saying if I was standing on my wallet, I'd be like ten feet taller than you or something. I thought <laughs> that was sensational. I really like that. Um, 
And uh, yeah, Christian says no. Tass, Tass talks about the bloody audacity of Christian. Hobbs comes down to the ring to murder him. Christian gets the offense into to, 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 to look like he's got it handled, goes to the kill switch, but then Hook distracts him. And yeah, Team Taz destroy Christian Cage. I love this. Oh, this was fantastic, man. This was end-to-end brilliant. Um, where to even start? Christian's got a direction. Brilliant. Like a proper... proper like he's got a gang of people to run through, as we hoped we would, turning down Team Taz's offer. Great. Every match, literally every combination of match in this stable is brilliant. Like, when they announced that it was going to be Hobbs um, as the first match, I was like, oh, God, awesome. And then I was like, oh, I wish it was Ricky Starks. I was like, oh, we're going to get that too. Right, and then we're going to get, like, we'll get Brian Cage. Ricky Starks are probably the, the main event one. At some point, we might get Christian versus Hook. Imagine that. Like, oh. it just, the, every pairing works brilliantly. Um, <laughs> Taz, right, AEW... I don't know if this is a hot take, you know. AEW has made swearing in wrestling uncool. Unless it's Taz doing the swearing. Yes. When he called Christian a bag, I just popped out my chair. Like <laughs> His deployment of curse words is unbelievable and so much better than virtually everybody else's. And there is always a lot of it. So, you know, you've got a fairly crowded field. I think he's far better with it. Um Maybe he's like just knows his way around four letters because we added the extra Z to his name. <laughs> I just, I, I, I love Team Taz again because, yes, Christian's right. They're a dumpster fire. That was really funny. But no, they're going to try really hard to prove they're not in what's probably going to be consecutive losses to Christian Cage. <laughs> just the construction of the storyline is superb. Uh, <laughs> his idiot buddy that carried him as Edge, the guy that's just main event in WrestleMania. <laughs> Great. Um, just great. Taz is a gift. Um, Christian Cage has got direction and it feels brilliant. It feels like the fog over the Christian Cage arrival in AEW is lifting and I'm all here for it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, main event time, Darby Allen, Matt Hardy, false count anywhere for the TNT Championship. Uh, we've taken a few victory laps. We've got to hold our hands up here and admit that I thought they, they really book this perfectly in terms of we were concerned about how it was going to work with these two uh and Matt Hardy exemplified how this match is going to go by basically just starting the match off by twatting Allen as he was going for a, an in-ring coffin drop um beats Dan Allen that shot of Allen's back about two minutes into the match and I was like oh no you've got so much more to go in this match and look at your back already um Hardy goes for a twist of fate onto it uh, on a chair he's shoved his head in it uh but uh Darby Allen countered he twats him with some chair shots out, <laughs> out comes the Hardy family officers butcher blade and private party butcher just hoys a trash can into Darby Allen's <laughs> they beat him down dark order comes out to make the save alongside sting of course uh sting sends private party packing uh with the baseball bat in the midst of all this, uh, Hardy whips Allen into the steel steps, into the barricade, covers him for a two count. Out comes Ethan Page and Scorpio Sky. And then Lance Archer gets involved. He's never taking his eyes off Sting, seemingly. Hits a blackout uh, on Isaiah Cassidy uh, whilst looking at Sting. Sting flings his bat to Allen as, uh, as he stood up on the stage. 
Hardy surprises Alan with a low blow, sets him up, t- chair-assisted twist of fate for a great near fall. They brawl backstage. Hardy sets up a ladder and puts uh, Darby Allen through a table with a leg drop to get another two count. Then they brawl back onto the stage. Hardy goes to powerbomb Darby Allen onto the floor, who escapes low blow, murders <laughs> Matt Hardy with the baseball bat uh, and uses it to force him onto the announce table to hit a, well, I'm going to say this, Jeff Hardy-esque coffin drop off the scaffolding for the victory to retain the TNT Championship. couple of questions. What do you make of this mad brawl, Michael Hanford? Is Darby Allen the new Jeff Hardy, basically? <laughs> I mean, people have wanted to attach that tag to him for quite a while, haven't they? And I think this was quite a nice way to do it against his brother, as you say. Um, this was, you couldn't hate this because it was just all action. Yeah. Um, really enjoyable. Time time raced by because there was always something going on, um, which is ideal for a Matt Hardy match because we've, you know, been, I think, fair in our assessment of, like, him looking his age. And that's fine. Like, that's absolutely fine. The man has put the years in and he's put more years in than most because of the bumps he took when he was younger. Yeah. So, and I say younger, that he took last year. So, like, <laughs> it's, like it's okay to do a smoke and mirror show that we got here for a really entertaining television main event. I would argue, I'm going to do this as a sandwich because I want to end on a positive because I did really enjoy this match and I really enjoyed this show. I would argue, right, that AEW were going to the well a bit too often with these matches. Um, I don't think Matt Hardy versus Darby Allen warranted uh, a huge grand payoff in the same way that, let's say, Britt Baker and Thunder Rosa did. Um, but we've had now this uh, Thunder Rosa's Britt Baker's match, Arcade Anarchy, um, the street fight at the pay-per-view, the exploding bar by death match at the pay-per-view, another one at the pay-per-view I think I'm forgetting. They're doing it, they're doing like weapons stuff a lot. Like, and it's 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 tricky to criticize because it was a really fun watch. Loads was going on, but you will desensitize people to it. And I was feeling at points in this a little bit desensitized to the, mm-hmm. the violence. And it's not ideal because ultimately you want, you want like, I know this was fun. This was more fun than it was violent, but you still want the violence to count. And I think ultimately maybe that's getting diluted slightly by the amount we're getting at the moment. That's not fair. just on television, but just across AEW's products in general. But I want that to be a, like, I, I want that to only be a partial criticism because I still quite enjoyed this. Like I, I enjoyed just getting taken along for the ride of it. Um, I'm not a Darby Allen guy, so I got more out of this than I get out of a lot of his singles matches because I don't tend to buy into him as, as a babyface fighting from underneath, as good as he is physically at doing that. So I got more out of this because I was just distracted by stuff. There's a lot of overlapping programs that I know people will claim to be confused by, but I feel like it's all pretty clear. Um, you know who the you know who the good guys are and the bad guys are in the stables. And by the way, I just want to give credit to that as a running theme throughout the show. Like yeah. really just, I know I said it at the top of the podcast, but so thirsty for knowing who the bad guys and the good guys are when yeah. NXT won't tell me. And like <laughs> that was evident, so evident here. Like Scorpio Sky's made friends with Ethan Page and they're going to be a couple of dickheads. I hate them already. <laughs> like, you do though, don't you? Like, look at this couple of arseholes, man. Like, brilliant already. Lance Archer, listen to what Sting said because of course you would and has tried to do right here. I love that that's going to go one of two ways, right? He either gets his shot because he's listened to Sting and Sting has become the catalyst for possibly watching his friend Darby Allen get absolutely murked by Lance Archer in a title match. Or Darby Allen wins and Lance Archer's like, you didn't tell me this would go this way, Sting. <laughs> and, he t- 
and he turns heel on Sting and beats up a 62-year-old man to get Darby Allen's attention again. You know what I mean? Out of the frustration of the loss, he then turns on Sting because this wasn't how it was supposed to go, Stinger, and he batters him, and then Darby Allen fights him again, and you've got a new heel, Lance Archer. So I really like how they use that Lance Archer is tentatively a babyface, but the babyface should probably be looking over their shoulder <laughs> because this is this is not the guy you want to mess with. Um, and the finish was great. Have they ever has anybody ever gone through an outs table yet in AW rather than a table? Has Jim Ross, Tony mm, Schiavone, that's a good point. Uh, and Excalibur ever been asked to get out the hell out of the way for that? Like was I, I feel like they haven't gone near that very much. I'm probably forgetting one. Cedric's normally the one uh, for the AW memory, so I'm probably forgetting a time. But I feel like they've not been disturbed that much. So while some of the violence is maybe being overplayed, the uniqueness of that spot was not lost on me. So I was very appreciative of that too. Good, really good fun. Um, can't rate it mega highly as a match, but really explosive, entertaining way to end a television show. Yeah, another 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 wild spot to add to Darby Allen's record. Uh, mm. uh, yeah, like you said, the Jeff Hardy comparisons are just going to continue, particularly after this match. But I thought, considering the concerns we had going in, I was thoroughly entertained, and that merited being the main event on a show with with so much mad stuff all over it. But uh, let us know your thoughts on AEW Dynamite on Twitter at WhatCultureWWE. Watch there, you can follow both of us. You can follow Michael Hamlet at Michael Hamlet. You can follow Michael Sidgwick at M Sidgwick, who's given his takes on Twitter and no doubt chat about that next week when he returns. You can follow me at Adam Wilborn. Follow us all at What Culture WWE and make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts for all the daily bloody wrestling. Uh, but for now, this has been the AW Dynamite review. My thanks to Michael Hamlet. Thank you for joining us. God, it's nice to not have to compare. NXT and Dynamite. They were both great shows. Enjoy what you like. And if you don't like something, maybe just keep it to your bloody self. Right. Unless unless the thing you don't like is this podcast, in which case, subscribe, let yep. it go into your feed for like a week or something, and then delete it. And the best way uh, to put, it, put, put us down is uh, <laughs> it was a five-star review on iTunes. Oh, that'll show. <laughs> that'll, that'll really show us. The last thing I wanted for people to leave was that bloody five-star saying something nasty in that comments box. I yeah. would hit if you are listening to my voice now and you absolutely hate it, bring it up. You come and tell me. Oh, I'll be livid. Yeah, you can write Sidewick all you like, so long as you write, give us a five-star review. <laughs> you know? uh, right, it's been the AW Dynamite Review. My thanks to Michael Hamlet. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you soon. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. 
That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.